Take it away. Welcome to League One Fun, presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. That was Jason. He's here, but we have a special guest tonight, too, all the way from Tucson, Arizona. Actually, do you live in Tucson, Stephen? Give us a give us a hint about you know who you are and you know where you live. Yeah, so I live about twenty minutes south of Tucson. Uh, it's a little town called Saudita, but basically the entire area is Tucson. So right. Well, welcome, and we're glad that we're having someone talk about Tucson because yesterday I interviewed the coach of FC Tucson as well as two of their players, trying to get some knowledge about about Tucson, maybe one of the undercover clubs. But that's something that you're uh, you're trying to re- rectify, right, Stephen? Yeah. Um, uh, a podcast is getting off the ground. Uh, hopefully the first episode is going to post this week. I did not realize how complicated getting one of those was started. <laughs> I saw you guys and thought, that's oh, not that hard. So, but. well, yeah, look, Gen Xer, you know, and, you know, super busy digital content guy. And, you know, you'd think that it would be easy if we could do it, but, you know, luckily uh, the network's helpful. So you'll get it. Uh, so Jason, you know, I, I keep on getting packages and tonight. Wow. But I have to admit, I paid for this one. All right. So, you know, all the rest. I I did break out my credit card, but I have a a Lansing Ignite scarf. I'm going to wear it tonight in honor of the 1-0 victory that Lansing had today over uh, TFC2. We'll talk about that match a little later. I, I got to watch it. Uh, so we can review uh, review that one. But first, let's go for some news. Yeah, let's. Uh, before we get into the rumors, we'll start with some real news. Uh, so you have noted uh, that Ford this weekend will be giving out 1,008 plastic pink flamingos for National Pink Flamingo Day. Wow. And going up against North Texas, I think they're calling this rivalry now El Plastico, uh, based off of the plastic flamingos. Uh, some nice banter from the Ford Twitter account too today, if you want to go check that out, uh, about putting uh, North Texas in the recycling bin. So that's nice. They're not completely trash. They're recyclable. But yeah, just, uh, and I've been watching Ford. They've been doing scavenger hunts all this week for flamingos. And, you know, judging by how their game day was last week, I think this weekend might even top it. And I think you're going to see just a tremendous output from the fan base. And they might be the one place that has, I mean, Chattanooga hasn't lost at home. Um, or did they lose at home? No, they haven't lost at home. Uh, but I think when it comes to the fan base and the environment, Ford might have the home field advantage of the league. Yeah, you know, they have a great environment there, obviously. And, you know, certainly they're doing the the community stuff right. And I think this is, you know, just another way to um, kind of, you know, kind of really embed themselves within the community. But let's go to the next piece of news, which, you know, which which rumor do you want to do first, Jason? Should we talk yeah. about new teams maybe next? Let, let's talk about some rumors of some new teams. So, okay, well, um, we know one team is for sure, but but it's not in League One. So right. San Diego is going to have a team in the championship. It's now yeah. official that the uh, league announced it today. But, you know, talk to us about some of these uh, some of these rumored League One teams. Yeah, so uh, Nipun Chopra on Twitter dropped the San Diego news. And with it, he also dropped some news of some potential League One teams that might be coming, which include Riverside, New England, and Miami. Um, and so the one big thing I'm curious about these is obviously Riverside would probably be an independent club, but I wonder if New England is going to be an independent club or if it's going to be a New England Revs B team. And if Miami is going to be a 27th independent club in that city, or if we're going to get Beckham juniors 
Um, so yeah, but that was something that I that I found really interesting this morning. Uh, I have heard about Riverside before a couple of months ago, and they they went for sanctions and something had fallen through. Um, so that name being brought up again doesn't surprise me. But yeah, let's talk about New England, right? Because this is a team that still uses their clip art logo from 1995 and hasn't really done much as far as trying to develop a stadium or anything like that. You know, Robert Kraft hasn't really put anything into the team as far as development purposes. They are getting a $30 million training facility, which supposed to have an academy and presumably would maybe be where a two team could also train as well. So I, so I wonder if that, you know, is, is part of it and that may be why we might be seeing a, New England Revs B team and also new coach Bruce Arena is all about the youth, right? So maybe he uh, put, you know, in his, in his contract, Hey, if I sign, I want to be able to make sure that we have some kind of an Academy and we have, you know, we're developing some kids, especially if crack isn't going to spend money. You know, New England's big enough. It seems to me that maybe they could try something similar to Tucson and I'll bring in Steven here in just a second. You know, maybe they could say instead of playing near Foxborough, maybe they could, you know, go up to New Hampshire and maybe, you know, try and start a, um, you know, start a team a little bit away from the Boston metropolitan area and, uh, be, you know, be able to be New England, but, uh, you know, bring their brand further afield and also develop uh, develop kids at the same time and, and maybe be in a different area. Because I, I think FC Tucson has a kind of a unique uh, story with the, the way that they've done their two team. You know, Stephen... Can you talk to me about maybe, yeah. Before we talk to Steven, is that what you want to do? Because I think right now the complaint about the Revs not getting the, the attendance and getting the support that they need is because they're so far away from the Boston area, right? So this is like, for instance, what they're talking about, you know, with Chicago being branded back into the city and having a stadium in the city. Would you rather take the approach to where you're trying to spread out even further into the New Hampshire and Vermont areas? Or you would you rather have a team that's in the downtown city so that boss can feel like it's their own? Well, that's a good question. I mean, maybe if the but if the two team was played in Boston, say at one of the universities like at BC or 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 BU, would that really be a uh, you know would that help the the senior team? Probably not. I mean, you really need a probably a you know twenty five thousand capacity stadium downtown for the Revolution to uh, to get much. But but Stephen, you know, talk to us about what it's like having. You know, this unique two team, the only two team of a USL championship team that's also a professional team, um, you know, totally into, um, uh, you know, 100% into uh, youth development for Phoenix Rising. So, you know, what's it been like here? Well, it's a very unique experience because uh, you have to look at the other uh, two teams. Like, you got Toronto, you got North Texas, you got Orlando. Uh, the gap between the, the level of play is much greater than you have with Phoenix Rising and FC Tucson. So it's much more tangible for those players to be able to move up. Because uh, you've already seen three players so far this year. you got Austin Ledbetter, Kyle Bjornathan, and uh, uh, Andrew wheeler Omiuno. So you have those three have already moved up. Uh, compared to a lot of the other teams, maybe you get just a few minutes in a Open Cup game or with Pepe, you know, you get to start the Open Cup game. But So, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely... Uh, different than the normal affiliate in the USL. Right. And moving on to other news, uh, let's talk a little bit about another report. Uh, So Jason and uh, had 
retweeted on Twitter that the, the third degree, so the supporters group for FC Dallas, received several reports that Ricardo Pepe was seen yesterday at a Toyota Stadium in a glass conference room with the Hunt family and with his fa- or with Dan Hunt, I should say, and his family. So, you know, is he signing a MLS homegrown contract or not? Uh, listen, Jason, what, what do you think? Listen, everyone in the league uh, is probably – just as excited as Pepe is for this potential contract signing, because uh, if he does, this is big, right? Uh, this is a, a teenager signing an MLS homegrown contract, pretty much, you know, not guaranteeing, but setting up to where he's probably going to be playing for FC Dallas, you know, if not this year, guaranteed next year. And uh, already, as you see, he's playing U.S. Open Cup for him right now. Uh, yeah, this is big news, right? This is the first time to where we could be seeing the USL League One player playing in MLS. Uh, he's somebody that has the experience both in the league and national uh, field. But I want to throw out here, if you're Pepe, do you want to do this? You know, do you want to sign an MLS homegrown contract or do you kind of want to play the field and uh, see what else is out there? Maybe some overseas people come and look at you next year and you can get into a training academy overseas and break out into their team. What, what do you guys think? Steve, why don't we start with you? Well, isn't FC Dallas the uh, pipeline to Bayern? Yeah, I mean, they, I think Schalke is off on the outs after the Weston McKinney move. So, um, you know, they, they don't want to deal with Schalke. But it's, it's yeah, so, so they've sent some players to Byron. I, I, I think it's a good move for him because he's already on a USL contract. So he's already kind of tied to the club. So if he can get a homegrown deal and, you know, that the way that homegrown rights work for MLS is that if he gets traded for, you know, Four million dollars, five million dollars, whatever. Even in the next, you know, year or two, um, you know that that's good for FC Dallas. That's good for the people in the pipeline and the people at North Texas SC who they see that there's the potential to go there. And then on top of that, it's it's good for him because he's going to get noticed, right? If you're playing on a bigger stage, like you're more likely to go to Europe, I think, playing for FC Dallas than you are playing for North Texas. So I'm that, just kind of hoping that the move happens sometime in the next week and a half when you play him next week, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's 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 funny though that what a loss it would be for North Texas to lose, you know, the Golden Boot striker with the most goals in the league, just for them to have to play the backup striker who has the second most goals in the <laughs> right. league. And, it's and, a yeah, the, tremendous the other, loss for them. The other guy who scored a hat trick in the league. The, mm-hmm. <laughs> So. The only two, yeah, the only other guy that scored a hat trick in the league. What yeah, a shame. We'll, we'll get to that game a little. Uh, we, we we talked about that game last week. So uh, should we go to results? Let's do that. Uh, firstly, last Wednesday, the game, the match had was going on actually while we were recording. Um, so we'll talk about this. Uh, you know, it, this was one of the matches of week twelve. It was OCB one and FC Tucson. Two, Jamil Cox in the 44th with a long-range effort that skipped off the uh, off the turf to uh, hit the bottom left corner. Then Kyle Ventner, uh, it was a it, in the 46th minute. Uh, there was a corner kick. The ball went uh, was headed back across the goal, and he had a great left-footed volley. I actually talked about it with him on the podcast uh, yesterday, um, and uh, you, you know just right past the the OCB goalkeeper Herrera and then uh the, but just a uh, middle in the second half uh Tiago Sousa did get a penalty kick uh scored the 59th minute uh fullback Simas was tripped in the box uh trying to turn um and uh Sousa had a very clinical finish there um you know 
let's start with you, Stephen. You know, first time on the show, but the first game we're reviewing happens to be FC Tucson. So, you know, what did you see out of this match that, you know, you thought was good and thought was bad on uh, for your team's side? Well, first off, it was the assist of the year on the Ventner goal. If you know, Jordan Jones went in for the bicycle kick and somehow it went sideways right to the feet of Kyle Venter, who just volleyed at home. So anyway, uh, yeah, uh, FC Tucson, they came out strong. Uh, they look organized. I know the past few weeks they've been uh, kind of integrating more and more Phoenix's system. So if you've noticed, they've been a little bit more timid. They've been, uh, uh, I guess, playing the ball back more. Uh, but this time they really push forward. Is yeah, what. One Go thing ahead, that Phoenix is known for, one thing Phoenix is known for is their attack. And, you know, so I think that's been pretty obvious the last few games. I think that's a great point. Go ahead, Jason. So I was going to say, how do you feel about that? Because I do think that Tucson are playing their best when they are in the open field, kind of running at full speed as opposed to building it up themselves and taking the ball almost like a half field approach. Um, And you saw that this weekend, we'll talk about the second game they played to where when they were given that space to come up and do, you know, what they wanted with the ball, they didn't really have any ideas or creativity. So what are your thoughts on that approach against Orlando? Uh, When it comes to creativity, I think a lot of that's going to be solved when uh, Luis Martinez comes back. He's been kind of laid up with injury the past uh, month or two, but I, I talked with him recently. He said he's uh, he's close to coming back. If you remember the first couple of games, he was the one who kind of orchestrated the movement through the middle of the field. Uh, and you know, Phoenix Rising style of play. Like if you watch their game uh, last night, it was it was a lot of fun to watch. But uh, they're starting to move the ball through uh, through the middle of the field a little bit more. And FC Tucson, they've been known to kind of go down the wings and just kind of cut in. Uh, I really think that if they start integrating more of rising system, it's going to open up more avenues for them to attack. So if they're able to cut you through the middle effectively, then that's going to open up the outside a lot more. So, And what is that doing with Jameel Cox and everybody else who's kind of been, you know, being in that mid right now? Mid right now? Um... Uh, Jamel Cox, he started actually on the wing for the first few games yeah. and looked really good. On the dangerous. first few games. Yeah, but now, but the, the, what he's doing now is he's coming towards, like, he'll start on the wing, but he drifts mid, and that's where he finds his shots. And that's why he's able to take those long ones. And so when you're playing through the middle, what is what do you think that changes with the offense right now? Uh, it's definitely going to change the way that they, uh... that's a good question. Uh, it's going to change the way that they really build up because um, you have to see they've been trying to play out of the back so much. Like it's almost kind of been like a mandate at the start of the season. It was almost forced. Like you're not going to kick it long. Uh, but now with uh, Carlos Morencio, he's uh, he's really accurate with the long ball. It's something I've noticed. His distribution's really, really good. Uh, and so honestly, I think that's going to make playing out of the middle a little bit easier. Uh, but as far as trying to play out of the middle, I think the team over the course of the seasons, their identity is going to be changing slowly and slowly. And I think uh, Swatsky's really good at development. And I think a lot of these players have uh, just taken leaps and bounds in their development over the past few months. So uh, if this is, you know, what they're trying to push, and I know Swatsky's going to do a good job implementing it. So uh, so let's go, th- go through the goals here. Uh, you know, Ventner's goal was that, that great left-footed volley. You know, for, for a guy who plays in the back line, it was, it was impressive to see him kind of hit it like a striker. Do, do you think, Stephen, that – 
you know, Ventner had six goals in the championship last year. And, you know, this year, just in the last week, he's had two goals now. And we'll talk about the, the other one uh, a little bit later. Um, you know, is he in a wrong position? Should, should he be playing farther up the pitch? He should be playing forward for Greenville. Ah, <laughs> oh, they could use one. He could probably hold it up too. Yeah, I mean, given no, just have size. him sit in the box, and when they cross it, and he just pops him in. But yeah, no, uh, Venter. He, like I said, he scored six goals last season. Um, two this past week. Um, honestly, if you watch him in defense, I think you see he's in the right position. But uh, like Jason's been saying, if you give FC Tucson a set piece, they're going to make you pay for it now. And to be honest, if he was healthy the first like month and a half of the season, I think he'd be a leading scorer right now. <laughs> as a as a as a right center back, that's interesting. Yeah, I think Devin um, Jomga's sitting at three right now, and he's already at two. So. Yep. Yeah. Jom, Jomga has three. That's right. Um, so a couple of other interesting things about this match. I, I thought it was a pretty interesting match. It was a little bit more wide open um, than, than I thought. I mean, even though there were, um, you know, each team, uh, uh, OCB actually had outshot Tucson 16 to 15. But of course, OCB again, nine shots from outside the box. Again, Jason. You I, know, don't, it, I don't it, hate it. I don't. It, but they don't score from them. <laughs> they, yeah, so. that's the that's the part that I like. They're not scoring from them. If they could just find a way to put them on target and put the pressure on these goalkeepers, because that's the main issue is they're not getting anywhere close to being on target. If you can keep that low, have the keeper dive down for it, and then have the the speed to get there for a rebound or to at least keep pressuring the ball so that the other teams have a hard time clearing it out, I don't mind that. Especially when you look at them, they might be the shortest team in the league right now, right? So they're not going to successfully cross the ball against these teams like Lansing and Greenville who have these, you know, and even uh, Tucson who have these six foot three, six foot four center backs, they're not going to win those. Right. So shooting early could be their advantage or if they can find a creative midfielder in that 10 sending those through balls. But right now they don't have that right. Right now it's about D'Souza and Seamus flying up those sides. And when you get down to the sides, there's only two options. You're either crossing it in or you're cutting in and taking shots. And so I don't hate that they're cutting in and taking shots. I just hate that those shots aren't anywhere close to being on goal. So two other things that I think is interesting, you know, early on we had talked about Luke Granator, who, um, you know, he was kind of a creative presence both off the bench and as a starter kind of played out on the wing or as a number nine. And, uh, you know, he's been on the bench and, and hasn't started. I wonder if he should maybe try and come off the bench because it seems to me that if he's given a shot, it, he might have a chance. Um, you know, I know sometimes he gets a lot of yellows because he's aggressive, but I think sometimes that's what they need instead of shooting outside the box, just have someone who's aggressive going to try and, you know, win the ball back and counter press if they lose it, you know, inside the 18. The, the other thing about this match that, that is interesting, and, and I'm sure this has happened in other matches, but there were zero offside calls for either team. So, oh, wow. you know, neither of these teams was offside ever. So it's not like you had guys flying up the pitch and, uh, you know, trying to get in behind. And I think that, you know, that really showed. And I think that that's very telling as to, to kind of how this match went, particularly from uh, OCB's perspective. Um, so uh, anything else on this game, guys? Uh, you know, we, we're going to talk a little bit about Tucson a little later. So uh, we'll have more to talk about on, from them. 
No, let's uh, let's keep it moving. All right. Uh, so the next match on my list was Greenville Triumph One and Lansing Ignite. Look, my scarf, Lansing Ignite, <laughs> also won. Uh, Lansing on the road wound up getting it. So Capital Combustion, uh, our friend Weston Shelton did a little study. He put it out on Twitter as well. Mentioned it on their podcast today. Uh, shout out to another great, beautiful game network podcast, uh, Capital Combustion. Um, Lansing on their road trip actually got 1.25 uh, points per game, which uh, is better than the 1.00 average in the rest of the league on the road. So, you know, Lansing had a pretty decent road run here. Um, but they, uh, they they went up early. They went up in the 30th minute on a Nick uh, Moon um, uh, Nick Moon score from, uh, from Moshe Bonnet. It was a very interesting. It was a corner kick. There was like a scrum in the middle. It was like the ball was a magnet and pulled all of the uh, all of the Greenville defenders to the ball, leaving Nick Moon wide open at the back post because the ball then goes back out to Moshe Bonnet, who crosses it in with his left foot, and Nick Moon heads it home, as Nick Moon always seems to do. Uh, but Cole Seller got... A, uh, got a goal in the 66th minute to tie it up. Uh, Bermudez was put in, and and you know Bermudez had a very nice corner, and that's where this came from. But but the, uh, Bermudez also um, also created the corner, so uh, Bermudez was really a spark for uh, for Greenville when he went in. Maybe he should have, if he was in a little bit earlier, um, he might have been able to, uh, to to do a little bit more. Um, Jason, uh, do you have a chance to watch this game? And you know, what did you think about the performance on on both ends? I did. You know, I I kind of disagree. I like that Bermudez super sub. Um, maybe if he subbed in a little earlier. Yeah, but he came in and created three key passes within his first 15 minutes in, and which was the highest in the game for Greenville outside of um, Keegan, um, who had the same amount. So he had four created chances as a super sub and the assist, and all of his key passes came from within or just outside the 18-yard box. And that's huge because, as you see, Greenville went back to this whole cross and not <laughs> successfully completing them uh, thing. And so when you have Bermudez that's able to beat people down the side and get into the box and have better chances at goal, uh, that's that's big for them, right? And I think that Muhammad offensively is their most dangerous player. So for him to tire out those backs and then you have to have Bermudez come in and you have to deal with him coming in late, I like I kind of really like him as a super sub. I thought that I thought that I was a that was the reason why that game ended one one for them. I was the reason why. Hundred percent. I mean, he yeah. played twenty. He played twenty eight minutes. Had eleven passes. One two duels. Had two successful crosses. One unsuccessful cross. Plus, like you said, those four chances created. Yeah. Four chances created in twenty eight minutes. I mean, yeah. that's that's pretty stellar. And uh, and uh, to, to talk about Greenville crossing, seventeen more crosses this season. I, I only you know, three the, completed. Oh, does Greenville have more crosses attempted? Oh, for than sure. Ever, no, no, no. I know that they have the most in the league, but what's the chances that they have fif- almost fifty percent of all crosses attempted across the league? I think they might. I'm going to have to uh, have to run some numbers on there. I'll um, say that they have more than four teams. I can yeah. see that. So uh, another thing I think for this game too is that Carlos Gomez was really quiet. Like he when he's when he's on, I think that the attack is a little bit more. Um, more fluid and that th- there's a little bit more chance creation. But, you know, Carlos Gomez just did not get into this game at all. He had no chances created, only one shot on target, and he played, I think, the whole match. Um, yeah, so it, it, yeah. I, I agree, but it's also too, like, yeah, I think they just never got into a flow. Like, even in the first half, they, Greenville had two point 
blank chances right there and couldn't convert. And then the thing about Lansing is when they get the ball, it's so fat. Like Toomey did an amazing job this game. I thought Moshabani was probably uh, Lansing's most productive player, um, taking people one-on-one, doing the things that you expect him to do. And I think what that does is it pushes Greenville back so much to help that it was hard for them to get into a groove. And you didn't really see them pick up that attack until about the 55th minute. Um, and then when Bermudez came in, it was still, you know, that's just even uh, amplified it even more. Um, so I do think that, yeah, like Gomez, like you said, was just not in it. And I do think that Lansing kind of took him out of it. Um, and Greenville was just kind of going with what was working. And what was working was Cole Siler. Cole Siler was just everywhere. Still, you cannot tell me. I still believe he's their best option at scoring goals. I think that if he can go into that fourth position, he should. Um he, he won six of his eight duels, four or five of his aerial duels, had two shots on target, had the goal, two tackles, five clearances. He was everywhere. Um, and then, you know, I think when he goes up, the one thing it does do is if you watch Tyler Pollock, he plays in this space to where he can't commit all the way up, but he doesn't want to stay all the way back because uh, they know about um, Moshabani and his speed. And then I think that when St. Duke came in, he was a very – effective sub as well. And that pushed Pollock back a little bit too. So I think having those speedy players against Greenville kind of messes up their groove as far as getting Pollock and the player and Siler and the people up that they want to put up. Yeah. We'll talk, we'll talk about St. Duke a little bit later today too. Uh, Steven, you have anything on this game or should we move on? Uh, I was just impressed with the amount of times that Greenville actually got the ball on the net. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it was uh, one sixth of the, all of their goals for the season. So. Yeah. yeah, it came off like a corner, right? So it's still yeah, technically right. across. Yeah, it was. It was from across. That, that's right. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, just to tell you what happened, that there was a uh, 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 Greenville um, had a, 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 had a corner on the right hand side. Bermudez uh, swung it in from the left, and, and Cole Siler finished. It was a, a really nice corner from Bermudez. It was like pinpoint accurate. Um, so yeah, it was. Um, I, I guess they they consider corners crosses, but. Um, one should. one thing I, I want to ask. So Ricky Espen, I think, is very good at hold-up plays. And I was talking to Weston about this. And his one touches were fantastic. But when he has the ball for too long, he makes mistakes, right? He, he either makes a bad pass or he just gets the ball taken away from him or the ball gets away from him when he's dribbling. So what do you guys think as far as when Lansing look at their forward, would you rather have Alex Bruce who kind of has more speed and more dribbling and can be kind of the guy that's around the box? Or would you rather have Ricky Espen who's able to hold the ball up and dish it off to the wings? Uh, that's a good question because today, um, when Bruce came off the bench, he looked really, really good. <laughs> yep, and Espen <laughs> yeah. was invisible the first half. Yeah, that's today. right. Yeah, so, he really was. Um, yeah. I don't know if they, this depends on who they're playing, but I know with FC Tucson, we got torched down the wings in both of our matches. So, yeah, I think I think that's the answer, right? If you are a defense that can't handle the speed on the wings, and today we'll talk about the Lansing game, but they started to me and. Celso on the wings, and that's the most dangerous wing group you you know in this league. So yeah, if you're doing that, then maybe you start Ricky. Whereas if you are kind of looking more towards playing in the middle, you go th- with Alex Bruce. Yeah, I, I guess that depends on the setup of the other team and how they play. If they tend to go down the middle and and, and defend uh, tightly packed defense, and you can take advantage of your speed on the wings, then then you do that. But that's also the reason. Um, 
Yeah, well, why don't we talk about that when we get to the next match? Because yeah. I think that that's a good point to, to bring up then. Uh, so we're going to talk about Richmond Kickers nil versus the Chattanooga Red Wolves, who scored two. Um, I really thought for the first half, well, the first half ended nil-nil. Um, I really thought the whole match might end nil-nil. Um, you know, neither... Um, you know there weren't too many dangerous chances. There were there were a lot of shots, but I can't say that any of them looked particularly dangerous in the first half. Um, in the second half, um, things also didn't look particularly good. I mean, Richmond had a lot of the ball. They had fifty seven percent possession, had five hundred and seventy nine passes, so clo- closing in on six hundred passes. But none, uh, very few of them were in the final third. A lot of them were in the midfield and and uh, in the back line. Um, and they had 10 shots, uh, four of them from, uh, they had 10 shots that were from outside the box as well out of their total of 16 shots. So it's not like, uh, Richmond really, really attempted, um, you know, a lot of high quality chances. Um, so, you know, Stephen, maybe I'll start with you. If you watch this game, you know, is there, is there something that Richmond's doing wrong or is it more in this case, maybe Chattanooga figured out how to break down, um, Richmond's defense, which has been playing much better of late. Uh, I was able to catch a little bit of it. Luckily, it was the second half. But yeah, so when I watched a little bit of the highlights, yeah, you, uh, did not always... mi- you did not miss much the first half. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a couple of shots, but like when when the highlights are the ball going over the net or way out for a corner, then you know something was wrong. Uh, I don't know. Jason is more tactically astute than I am, but uh, Chattanooga they 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 always seem like they put themselves in a good position uh, to get goals or to create those key passes, but it always seems something goes wrong. Like against uh, FC Tucson, uh, they blew them out 4-0, but if you if you watch the game closely, uh, Chattanooga had so many... It, it, sh- it could have easily been like a 4-4 match. Uh, FC Tucson's goalie, Ejimadu, like was amazing in that game. Um, and this was kind of like the same setup where I felt that they were just one little touch away from uh, either just having a 2-1 or 2-2 game, so... Yeah, I I thought Mwape really stood out in the first half. Um, he had two shots on goal in the first half. Richmond had uh, a lot of, like, they picked up momentum around the 20-minute mark. Um, but actually, ironically, after Chattanooga had the ball off the post, after Zaguro, who apparently is the greatest passer in the league, uh, puts it on a dime on a beautiful uh, left-footed cross. Um, but I, you know, and I, th- I thought Tony, Tony walls played well for Richmond and really cut out Joe, uh, in those one-on-one situations. And you can see that in the 54th minute. And I think that's what you were saying, Steven, about that final touch, that final piece. I think Chattanooga just did really well when it came to that in the final third and really making sure that they stayed compact when they needed to and didn't give Richmond the clear chances that they needed. And the difference is Chattanooga, Chattanooga probably had four chances throughout the whole game, but then they took advantage of it. Right. And they score on two of them. And that's the thing that Richmond can't do. Uh, But I, what I do want to say though, is I think Alex Mangles is huge. I think he might be the most underrated MVP player for his team in this league. It's just, he controls so much of the game and it's not, he, he makes saves to where he's catching the ball. He's not hitting it out of bounds for a corner to where the team has to stay back and play defense and clear it out. He's catching the ball, setting up counters. He's controlling the box. I just think he is so important for this team and is the only reason why that they're not in a position to where they're lower on the table. 
Um, there were a couple of missed opportunities for Richmond. I think Thompson missed a golden opportunity uh, in the 75th minute. Uh, but yeah, I just think that Mang- I think Mangles is was the man of this match just because he controlled the game. Uh, he had one error in the 66th minute where he punched it and didn't get enough. And then there was a shot. It turned into a controversial, whether it was a handball or not. But yeah, I just think that defensively Chattanooga did what they had to do. And then they took their, you know, they had two chances out of four, maybe good chances and they finished it. And let me just say this, cause I'm ranting Richmond. I don't know what in God's name you need to do to get better at set pieces and defending them, but please do it because y'all are getting scored on with these schoolyard ass set pieces where people are just passing the ball and doing no looks and hitting the, the hail Mary behind the back. Uh, like it just, it makes no sense of these set pieces that, and it's week after week after week. And I'm getting tired of it. I don't, I don't like to call out teams and I like to be positive. I'm getting real tired of this. And if that's why you're losing games, that's a huge problem. Well, so, so on the defensive end, obviously they need to, you know, be a little bit quicker on the uptake uh, because you're right. Like one of the goals was scored on, on a set piece where it was a quick restart and basically no one picked up a runner who was running from where the ball was. And uh, you know, you had Scotty Thompson was covering the guy on the outside and, and um, the every, basically three players on Richmond were watched one person yeah, uh, walk into the box. hitting basically. them with the Statue of Liberty backyard recess plays and they're <laughs> falling for it. And I don't understand what is going yeah. on. Annexation but, but Puerto on the, Rico. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other side, Richmond also hasn't been scoring a lot of goals, right? Which which they, they scored more goals even when they were losing early in the season, right? They lost 3-2. They, 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 were, they were scoring more. Now their front four in this game – had only five shots in the first half, the whole front four. So, you know, when we talk about 16 shots, you're not talking about, you know, the, the front four only had six total in the game, four in the first half, two in the second half. So all of those shots were coming from midfielders instead of for the uh, the players who were supposed to be more dangerous. Um, so I, I think I think it's actually both ways. And, you know, one of the things the Total Soccer Show did their Richmond Kicker Show today, and and so something I agree with uh, that, that um, Taylor Rockwell mentioned was, you know, they keep on getting like panicking and start shooting from outside the box instead of looking for one more dangerous pass. But I think part of that, and the one thing that he missed is part of the problem there is that there's not enough movement between the players in that final third. So you don't have people making diagonal runs in behind, at least not, not enough for uh, the midfielders to find that last pass. So they just, you know, they, they look around, they have no other options except to shoot. Um, so Ualfe, I thought looked good in this game, yep. and we've talked about him before. And so he, he got, had he, he got he had the f- chance to move up like we thought he would, and I think he yep. was really good high. And they kind of brought Doyle back more, and allowing Doyle to kind of move box to box when he needed to. But yeah, I think uh, and well, you had, watch. I'm sorry, he had four, four four tackles and three in the offensive half, yep. right? So so that's where you know if, if you're trying to press a a uh, possessing team, that that's important. So that and was a good you, tactical move. And you by can tell Uefa Uf, uh, was setting himself in the middle and was constantly looking to his sides to see where he can set up these through balls and where he can set up these passes. So we're watching him kind of become their number ten. Uh, even if he is, you know, better box to box, I, I think that he's going to be playing a bigger offensive role as they move forward. Great. Let's move on to our next game. Stephen, I'll start with you again. This one was Forward Madison 2, 
FC Tucson only won on a very late goal from uh, my one of my new favorite players, Kyle Ventner, uh, <laughs> who uh, who scored in the 95th minute. Uh, we'll talk about that goal in a second, but uh, but unfortunately that wasn't enough to win because in the uh, 44th second, yes. The 44th second. Not minute, second, Paolo, right? Second. Okay. The 44th second, the first minute, Paolo Jr. put the ball in the back of the net. Uh, it was the fastest goal in League One history, unsurprising. Uh, also, it was some great one-touch passing. I mean, you had, you know, B-Ment just kind of chipped the ball over over the top. Uh, Paolo Jr. ran right onto it, had a great first touch, and just made this diagonal run from um, uh, from the left to the to back post. was wide open for um uh for a header uh from from bement and um and paolo jr just put it away and and no one picked him up i mean it was when i say it was wide open i don't i think the closest player to him was the uh what was the tucson keeper and he was maybe five yards away (laughs) Uh, i think it might actually been uh one of their own players that was trailing behind him but (laughs) (laughs) it could have been uh jc banks uh you know jc banks got on the end of a paolo jr uh pass and uh uh, Paolo Jr. found himself on the right-hand side. It was actually his only touch on the right-hand side of the field, just as a uh, matter of note, uh, and uh, makes an end-line run, cuts it back, and uh, and and J.C. Banks uh, tapped it home. Uh, very late in the game, in the 95th minute, at late in injury time, Kyle Vettner um, took a, uh, a header that had been from a quick uh, throw-in, and then uh, the ball was kind of just put up almost Hail Mary-like, in, uh, and, uh, and Kyle Vettner out-jumped probably five uh, forward players and put it in the back of the net for his second of the season. Uh, Steven, let's start with you, you know, talk to me about your thoughts. I mean, obviously disappointing. I don't think you guys played badly, but, um, you know, certainly disappointing, uh, disappointing result. Yeah. Well, I got three points from that road trip. Uh, it was an important three points at Orlando. Uh, this one definitely was disappointing. Uh, I think USL as a whole is probably glad that this match was at, uh, um, forward Madison, with a ruckus crowd, because if it was at Orlando, you would have picked up on the mic what Swatsky was yelling at his players right after they let in that goal that early. Because <laughs> if you just go back to watch any time Tucson's playing Orlando, you'll hear some words. So my two-year-old's <laughs> learning stuff from him. So, uh, yeah, it was just a game of his chances. Um, there was two amazing chances that FC Tucson had. Uh, well, first of all, let's talk about possession. 59% possession FC Tucson had. Uh, they had, and a majority of their passes were actually in the opposing third. So that was, that was impressive. Sorry, opposing half. Uh, so like, uh, let's see. Uh, well, for, Jordan forward, Jones. Forward Madison cleared the ball 42 times in this match, 21 times in each half. So that just yep. shows you how often the ball was in the final third, like you were saying. Yeah. So they, they were pushing forward. They're getting chances. Like to me, it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad performance. It was a performance by a team that was just had weak legs. Uh, I know that's not too much of an excuse, considering that I believe six out of our next seven games are on the road. Yeah, uh, you guys have a horrible schedule. You and Ford yeah. had two of the toughest schedules I've seen coming up. Well, and then you got to look. Seven out of the last eight are going to be at home. Right. So that's going to be a fun run. So that's where we're going to make up some ground. But uh, Jordan Jones, he hit the post, I believe, in the – 73rd minute that's right yep and then okay this would have been amazing jordan jones had another almost bicycle kick assist but abergill uh he hit a volley that put it just about two inches over the bar 
Yeah. Like I was on the floor. It would have been amazing. And like he, two weeks that in a row. was probably the best chance because there was nobody around him. I don't think he realized he had that much time. He had more yeah. time to kind of just bring that ball in and make sure he was positioning himself right. Instead, he kind of just one touched it thinking I need to get the shot off since I'm open. I just like how the camera zoomed in right on his face. Like after the goal, he was just like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they had those chances. Um, uh, one of the bright spots that I thought was uh, Eric Vergen. Uh, he's, I believe, a 20-year-old midfielder. Uh, he's a local product. Uh, he's been looking really good. Uh, the first couple games he actually started, he was a little bit shaky, but uh, Sawatsky apparently uh, thinks that you know he's a good addition to the midfield right now. Um, he's got a lot of energy. Um, he's a really good passer once he decides to actually pass the ball forward. Uh, but, yeah, he's actually really uh, helped them build uh, up their attack these last two games. And he uh, he got the assist on uh, Kyle Ventner's goal. Is that right? He, he's the one who. Oh uh, yeah, him, yeah he's sitting across. Yeah. yeah, the uh, the other thing that that was missing from this game, and part of this might have been travel, is uh, Devin Jamgo did not play in this game. He was on the bench. Uh, he had told uh, he had told his coach that he you know his hamstring felt a little tight, so uh, so he didn't come. Although he was available off the bench and did suit up. Um, you know, I, I think unfortunately, like having him on the field or having him come in as a sub if he had been healthy might have helped you guys a little bit in the second half too you know running at, at like like Devin Jamgo running at some tired defenses could be a pretty you know intimidating thing to happen so um unfortunately though that that wasn't the case so um you guys maybe just need a little bit more of a spark uh, right there at the very end but I agree I mean you guys could have tied it up um you know uh, Potentially. So, you know, another fun match. I mean, quite frankly, you know, for me as a neutral, I am really enjoying these really fun matches like this one. It you know, even though it was two nil at halftime, um, you know, Tucson definitely came out and, and, you know, put a lot of pressure on forward in the second half. So, you know, forward had a, had a, there were some really, the back line of forward really deserves a, a big shout out here because, you know, 42 clearances is not something you normally see in, in a match. So there was a lot of, you know, last ditch defending. Let's uh, let's break that down uh, of why people need to stop uh, trying to cross the ball into forward. Uh, let's look at Connor Tobin. Connor Tobin has won 28 of his aerial duels. I'm going to have you guys guess what percent of them do you think that is that he's won i'm gonna say a percent i was gonna say 28 out of 32 so 90 percent okay That's what about you Steven? uh let's go 65 okay he has won 80 percent of his duels which is mm. the best in the league so he's exactly yeah, you, you you averaged Stephen and i and we got it yeah, yeah, yeah. so 28 to 35 <laughs> sean russell also had a ridiculous amount of clearances in this game and he hasn't played all season, but the games he has played. So stop crossing it against Ford. All right. Ford and Greenville, y'all got to stop crossing into the box. (laughs) Simple as that. Um, But let's talk about uh, more of this game. I want to say first and foremost, Tucson, if you score first, you win. If you don't score first, you lose. That's just how they're, they're set up. They're 0-3-1 now when they concede the goal first. So, yeah, the Tucson strategy is don't concede first, and we might have a chance. Um, but the difference in this game, and he might not show up on your stat sheet. He might not have gotten that much attention. But Ford is a whole different team when Carter Manley is playing. They are a completely different team. He was responsible for both of their goals because he his ability to overlap 
and his defensive ability is so important because when Ford is winning the ball, they're winning it higher. And I tweeted today what his his map looked like for his defense and offensive possessions. I want you to guys go to my Twitter account and look at that and see where he's winning the balls and where his passes are going when he wins the balls because he has set up key pass after key pass, successful passes after he wins the ball down the side towards the middle of the field. And that's so important because that allows Paulo Jr. and Don Smart to make those runs and get down there as opposed to building up the ball. And that's when Ford is at their best. And Ford, that's that was the difference. They just dominated that right side and they just dominated that side that Carter Manley was on. And when you talk about Tucson having more chances, you know, in the second half and starting to kind of pick up. That's because Carter Manley subbed off. So it was just like, yeah, like he is, he just changes that team so much. And he allows people for JC Banks to have room in the center of the midfield because he draws so much attention. He's accurate with his crosses. And yeah, he's just, he's a game changer for Ford. And uh, I love that he brings that confidence. First and foremost, we said that this was a must win for Ford, right? They had to win this game, and they did. And you can see the intensity in their faces, even after that first goal, all of them just screaming and just celebrating like they won the game already. You can tell they were just in their zone. Uh, Brandon Eaton, I love the aggression from him. Anytime he got any room, he was taking his chances and taking people on and shooting. Uh, Don Smart in the 53rd minute had a great chance, but it was a good save. Um, so yeah, I think that Carter Manley just changes this team's outlook and if they can just consistently have him playing, I don't know, you know, what his loan situation is with Ford. I mean, with, um, with Minnesota and how, how often they bring him up, but he, if if Minnesota has to bring up people, I think like Ford is saying, Hey, just let us keep Manley, please. Cause he's the one that changes his team. All right. Unless anyone else has anything else to add on this game, we can move on to South Georgia Tormenta 2, Orlando City B0. Um, this might have been the lowest attended game for South Georgia. Uh, there was only about 1,500 people in attendance. I don't know if it was a weather thing. Um, I unfortunately did not have a chance to watch this uh, this game in detail. So, Jason, I'll, I'll let you walk us through it, but there were goals uh, for South Georgia by Mickey Rowe in the 54th minute and Alex Morell in the 86th minute. Um, you know, Again, both second-half goals. Um, uh, OCB out out possessed South Georgia Tormenta uh, forty one to fifty nine percent, and they also had five hundred and seventy three passes compared to three ninety three for South Georgia. So OCB like like Richmond controlled possession in a big way and had many many more passes, but uh, but still couldn't get on the score sheet. Which is why the possession stat is trash. It does not matter. I'm gonna I'm gonna break down some stats that do matter. Orlando had close to 60% possession this game, right? They had 80% passing accuracy in their opponent's half. Yet they went 30 minutes in the second half during this, where they had in this in this 30 minute span, they had 70% possession and a 83% passing accuracy in the opponent's half. Guess how many shots they put up? Not how many on target. Guess how many shots they put up within those 30 minutes? I'm gonna say one. How about zero? They did not put a single shot up. So what is the point of possession when you're not even shooting the ball? So that's why that stat is trash. But I I will say this game could have been a lot different. Orlando came out shooting, and they had seven shots in the first half, uh, only one on target. Like you were saying, those shots are coming outside the box. But in the first, I think in the 10 minutes 
Uh, Seamus was just dangerous down the side and setting up a bunch of chances, including one that Raphael hit off the post. And that was their one on target. And I think that was in the 10th minute. And if that would have went in, it would have just changed everything. Cause you could see that Tormenta was kind of playing back. They had a rotated roster to which they introduced people. Pando played for, I believe his first start. Um, and they had, you know, different guys everywhere because of suspensions and injuries. Um, but then around the 25th, 26th minute, you started to see Tormenta kind of get into their groove. Uh, Connor Antley, the sign destroyer, if you didn't see it, he uh, definitely took out one of the signs in Statesboro. Um, he drew back-to-back chances within that in that 26th minute, uh, the first with a long pass to Marco off of a clearance from an Orlando header. And then uh, that shot was saved turned into a throw in and Antley instead of staying back like he did for the for the corner attempt just decides to run in gets the ball and just runs it into the box and sets up a chance that uh, I believe went off the post um so yeah it just shows that his versatility is so important to this team and he continues to be one of Tormenta's most important players um but the second half you saw that's when Tormenta said okay we need to come out and play more aggressive um and that's exactly what they did and it's, it was their pressing that led to those two goals. Uh, they had two first, they had two good chances in the first two minutes based off the pressing. And I think also what you saw was in the second half, Charlie Dennis kind of went up more and played that center high position that he likes to play. Um, and that was the changer. Mikey Rowe had a goal um, off of a rebound and handled that position well. Uh, but you saw that Charlie Dennis started really kind of taking control and being that pivot of the offense that he likes to be had three key passes in the second half compared to the first half where he only had one. Um, and then also Vinales with the box to box, he, he was a main team of the week and deservedly. So he was really the one in the second half that kind of controlled the tempo and really kind of put that pressure on Orlando so that uh, the Tormenta guys can get up. Steven, you have anything on this match? Uh, I didn't get a chance to see it, but, my experience with OCB, they're a very, uh, they rely on uh, what I call individual moments of brilliance, yep. where you can you can plan for them, you can absorb their pressure, you can bottle them up, but they're so talented that at some point one of them can do something that'll just change the game. I know uh, versus Tucson, it's usually going down the right side and just kind of hitting in a long ball. And so they've done it to us twice now where we had them bottled, everything was fine, but then they just broke down the right-hand side and one player just did something just amazing. So, Yep. And the the S's, Seamus, Serginho, and Souza, they're just incredible down the side. Uh, You saw D'Souza, you know, have that goal last week to where it literally, Serginho just flicked it to him and he decided to outrun the whole team. Um, Even in this game, Seamus had six crosses and two chances created um, and was a key factor in the first half is just, yeah, like you said, we don't, we don't have a final third finisher for Orlando. You know, we talked those might have been the only two chances created by Orlando as well. And importantly, Seamus, Leonardo Seamus did get a yellow card in this match. So he will miss the match against Lansing next week. Yeah. And that's not good because they're going to need that speed against Lansing. So. Okay. Well, if no one else has anything on this match, uh, we can talk a little bit about a uh, match that ended just before we started recording. Uh, This was Lansing Ignite. Uh, one. So again, uh, Lansing Ignite scarf around my neck right now, against <laughs> against 
Toronto Football Club 2 that scored zero. Uh, the only goal in this match was by uh, uh, Stephen St. Duke in the uh, 61st minute. Um, it, it was a, uh, a pass to the out wide from Alex Bruce, who um, I think, he, if memory serves, he won the ball in the middle of the uh, of the pitch and then uh, just sprung St. Duke, who was wide open on the left. I think that the right back for TFC had pushed up and there was a lot of space in behind and no one could catch Alex Bruce um, when uh, when he was on and he, he uh, had a nice shot that uh, hit the bottom left corner um, and uh, and and that was that was all she wrote. Um, TFC did press again. I was actually uh, thinking maybe this would be another road draw for TFC after um, you know they had made that big comeback last week against North Texas, um, uh, but Lansing did very well to. Uh, um, to absorb that pressure. Um, T- interestingly, a couple of interesting match facts here. Uh, Toronto FC2 had only three subs on the list, and one was a goalkeeper. So they only had two field players. They substituted both of them in. There was no Perusa in this match. And I think that was probably the reason that uh, TFC2's attack was uh, was not uh, as effective as it might have been otherwise. Because even when he's even when he's not scoring, he's setting up. So last week even... He didn't score any goals, but he had two assists. So, um, so I think that's that's it. But think about St. Duke's average positioning. So, look, go to the USL uh, League One website, and you can you can get all the opta data and look at the average positioning of all the players. St. Duke's average position was higher up the field than any of TFC's fullbacks. Any player on all of TFC except the keeper had was uh, had had an average position that was more toward the midfield than St. Duke was. So St. Duke was just running off the shoulder and I think that's the way that he wound up getting that that ball in behind. He was uh, he was pretty dangerous. He could have had a couple more goals in this match as well. Um, I don't have all the stats uh, with me at the moment, but Jason did uh, I know you watched at least a little bit of this match. What, what how did you think uh, Lansing looked against TFC2? Yeah, this is what I've been begging for. This is why you start Celso. If you watch him and it's not like you're talking about his average position, it's not like he just stayed high and, you know, that's why he had that position. He was all over the place and was involved in 21 duels, right? And was probably their only offensive threat, especially in the first half. Um, He was the one that created the chances. He was the one that set up the one-on-ones. But the real important thing and the things that don't really stand out on the stats is he drew a yellow on uh, Ramos Mingo in the 27th minute this game. And when you're drawing yellow cards against players that have to defend you one-on-one down the side and you know you're the fastest player on the field, it's troublesome. It changes the team's tactics, right? They have to prepare for that now. It's like, well, we have to prepare for a Lance encounter because we know we can't do it. We can't grab him by his jersey. We can't stop it. It's going to be another yellow. We can't afford the red card. So that's when you watch Toronto's press kind of start going back. And like you mentioned, yeah, they were missing everybody. I, I, they, I know Muhammad wasn't there. Dante Campbell had to run all over you know, the field just to try to pick up some pieces. Um, but yeah, this was easily, in my opinion, uh, Lansing or Celso's best game of the year but what Lansing's tactics are good with. And like you said, with Alex Bruce winning the ball in the middle and then sending, that's what that press is all about. If you can win the ball in the middle and send Celso and Toomey down the sides, there's not too many teams that are going to be able to keep up with that and deal with that. Um, And what you saw is Lansing start pressing again and create those uh, advantages because of that. Um, Shout out to Cleveland, though. Keeping them in the game in the first half with a lot of big stops, including a one-on-one against Dorsey and then uh, Hundle, who I call the horseshoe of League One because 
he loves to hit the post and he loves to almost come close, but he uh, just never gets it and almost doesn't count except for horseshoes. So, you know, Hundel had a Hundle had a good game, but he just needs to finish it. Um, but yeah, I think Lansing, Lansing did what they needed to do. And another kind of under the radar thing is why, why they're able to do that is I think adding Hollingsworth in, into his position, I think in the past couple of weeks he's been playing great, easily like their best one-on-one defender outside of Nick Moon, and that allows for those backs to not feel, or for those wingers to not feel like they have to come back and help so much. They can trust Hollingsworth, who then can win those passes and spring those counterattacks. Whereas if you have someone else on the side, Toomey and Celso might feel like they have to come back to support. Well, I think that's important. I think Hollingsworth in this match, uh, his distribution was quite good. So even it wasn't only his defensive effort. I think it was really his distribution and being able to get the ball, uh, you know, and find players with quick passes instead of just hoofing it long. So, um, yeah, you know, again, I, I don't, we didn't have time to do all the stats for this match, but I suspect that there's less clearances by Hollingsworth than there was for some others. And, uh, but his passing, uh, percentage was probably quite good uh steven any, anything on this match did you have a chance to watch it i know you uh you have a little one at home so uh you know be, before this you might have had other other duties to attend to yeah i was chasing the kids around but i was also watching the uh, fc dallas new mexico game so <laughs> fair enough uh okay so, so um, just, just to let you know about um hollingsworth just a quick stat to kind of provide details of what you're saying. Hongsworth had 33 passes and only four of them were unsuccessful. And out of those four, three of them were 18 or 20 yard or 20 yards or more. So they were, clear, they were clearances. Yeah, so they were pretty much clearances or they were long balls that just didn't find success. Yeah. Great. So where does that leave us right now? Well, so that means that after this week's games in the official table, uh, North Texas remains at the top of the table with followed by South Georgia Tormenta, TFC2, but Lansing Ignite skips up a couple of spots uh, right now into the uh, into the fourth spot. But FC Tucson does have a game in hand. So Stephen, don't fret just yet because if they were to win that game in hand, they would be in fourth place. Um, uh, but Chattanooga Red Wolves also have a game in hand on you and if they were to win both of them, they would actually be in third place. <laughs> so there's still a lot of potential movement in that middle of the table. Uh, interestingly, in points per game, Richmond kickers and forward Madison would be tied in points per game in eighth and ninth. Forward Madison in eighth based on goal differential. Orlando City B still at the bottom with less than one point per game and a negative eight goal differential. Uh, the good thing for you, Stephen, is that um, there's only four teams with positive goal differentials and FC Tucson happens to be one of them, has a better goal differential than Lansing, even after Lansing's 1-0 win tonight. Yeah, I was checking. I was surprised that FC Tucson scored the third most goals in the league. Yeah, you guys have a lot of goals. Uh, the problem is you let in too many, too. So. Yeah, well, we keep <laughs> bunching them up in just to one game. we got to spread them out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So uh, this coming Saturday, to preview upcoming matches is uh, at 7 p.m. You have Lansing Ignite versus Orlando City B at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Orlando City B, like I mentioned, will be without Leonardo Simas, who is sitting out on a yellow card suspension. Uh, also at 7 o'clock is Chattanooga Red Wolves uh, are hosting Greenville uh, Greenville Triumph. This will actually be the last meeting between those two teams this season. Uh, then later on at eight o'clock kickoff. So so while you, you have to switch over in the middle of the first half, I guess um, to these matches, you'll have Forward Madison hosting North Texas SC and 
uh, South Georgia Tormenta hosting the Richmond Kickers. Um, you know, S- Stephen, what uh, you know, your your side's not not in here on uh, on Saturday. Which of these matches compels you, you know, the most to watch? Because you know, you can only watch one of these live. So, um, you know, which which one will be on your focus list here? Uh, honestly, just uh, people that are going to be around us on the table. Just want to watch uh, for movement. Uh, some of the upcoming games. I uh, want to take a look at uh, North Texas, get a one more look at them before uh, FC Tucson plays them. Uh, and then always, I just like watching, uh, I like watching Lansing Ignite play because when they click, they really do click. So yeah. I like it when they move the ball down. So what, one thing I should note is that you play um, at North Texas on Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. Uh, so North Texas will be playing on short rest. So um, you can maybe take some solace in that, although you guys have to travel. Um, J- Jason, uh, you know, there, there's there's a lot of table implications here. And, and, you know, we're not quite halfway through the season, but we're getting close. This is going to be week 13. Um, you can have a couple of teams that will actually have 14 games under their belt, even though this is only week 13. Um, but you know, Toronto, Toronto two is also not playing this week. So, you know, they could potentially be passed by, uh, um, they could be potentially be passed by Lansing this week. Yep. I actually think that the game I'm most curious about is Chattanooga and Greenville. Um, Chattanooga is just a sneaky team to where it's just like they're they're there they're in playoff contention and you look and you go oh really because they're not a team that really has that offensive power that you think about but like we were saying earlier they take their chances and they get it done right and if Mangles is just going to keep playing out of his mind uh then they have a chance they, they're playing at home haven't lost at home all season uh Greenville can't score goals so it's one of those things to where all Chattanooga might need to do is take that one good chance, score a goal, and that could be a 1-0 game. And that just might be their their scheme all year, right? They might sneak into the playoffs as a fourth or third seed as just a team that kept winning 1-0, 2-1 games, right? And you have to worry about breaking them down defensively. And yeah, that's, you know, it doesn't set up for the most beautiful and entertaining soccer, but it's it's effective for them. And, you know, if two of their guys are making team of the weeks off of their one shot and one assist and one goal, then it is what it is, right? It's it's not fun, but if that's how they're going to win, you do, you don't stop that. And so I'm curious to see what happens when they play Greenville, who has you know probably still the most organized defense in the league, but Greenville can't score. So this is going to be either the most boring match of the year or uh, – Chattanooga or somebody's going to have to take initiative and really, you know, set up and put their foot to the pedal. So I, I think we have um, a, yet another must-win match here, which is going to be hard. But I think the Richmond Kickers really have to get a point at least uh, from their match against South Georgia this week to have any shot yeah. at really making the playoffs. I mean, if they don't, it's going to be a problem. I mean, Forward had to basically win this week uh, in order to have you know n- not any shot, right? Because you go on a run here and you 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 know win three of three of four and you draw the other one, right? So you, you could still move up the table quite a lot. But we're getting to the point here where some of these you know teams at the bottom of the table that don't have a lot of games in hand like the kickers really are going to need to uh start getting points in a hurry otherwise uh, they're going to be in trouble one one disadvantage that ford has for that their schedule coming up is is just brutal so they've got north texas at home this weekend first place team in the league 
Then next weekend, they're away at Toronto, who haven't lost at home. Then they're going to Tormenta, who also have not lost at home. And then three days later, have to play Lansing. That's their next four matches. And that sounds horrible. That sounds like you could potentially be looking at one or two points. You know, maybe you 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 be the first team to beat Tor- Toronto at home. I don't know. That's a tough four games. And so for four to just have a must-win game, I'm glad they're going in there with that confidence because they're definitely going to need it. Okay. Well, moving on, uh, we had a uh, team of the week came out from the uh, from the league on the league website. Unsurprisingly, the player of the week was Ronaldo uh, Ronaldo uh, Damas, who uh, scored a hat trick. Uh, so obviously, a pretty good choice for the uh, player of the week. But you also had Paolo Junior, who obviously scored the fastest goal in League One history. Uh, Sioni, another attacker. Uh, you had midfielders Serbli, uh, Vinyols, uh, Pineda, Arturo Rodriguez. Um, Arturo Rodriguez, you know, we didn't really talk much about him, uh, but, you know, still, you know, for, for my money, probably one of the top two or three midfielders in the league. Uh, and in the back, you know, Ventner, I guess when you score a goal and you're a defender, you uh, you, you make the team of the week because Connor Antley did that a couple of times. Uh, Connor Antley also in there as, as well as uh, a seller. And of course, hey, Jason, your man Mangles, goalkeeper I mean, of the week. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's one of those positions to where, he should be just automatically put in and somebody has to beat him out of it because he he's the reason why Chattanooga is in the position they are. And I'll fight anybody who disagrees. All right. So here we go. New new segment here now that we have the uh, the official team of the week. But we're going to say who should be on the bench. So who is the player not list? Not that I just listed who should probably be here. I'll actually start and I'm going to say Bermudez should be off the bench. We know that he comes off the bench and makes a difference. So, you know, he's the perfect guy, I think to, you know, be one of the inaugural players on our, uh, on our, our league one fun uh, bench player. How do you guys feel before I, before I give you mine about players making the team of the week. Yes, yes, they scored a goal, but let's say they had five touches and one of them was a goal and one of them was an assist. Yes, like you you made the impact, you scored a goal, you had the assist. Does that does the amount of work you do though emphasize like why you should be on the team of the week, or does it only matter about the goals and the assists? I I I mean, it's your opinion. I, I guess if you made an impact, regardless of what that is, particularly if it was a game winner or game tying goal, um, then yeah. I mean, look, that's that's a that's a key play of the week, and I would think that that player, you know, could easily be uh, be a bench player, whether or not they're, you know, maybe they're not. They don't deserve to be on the team of the week, but they could be on the bench. Right? Okay. Okay. Uh, just, first off, I just want to say I'm always a fan when there's four defenders on team of a week, not like some kind of faulty back three. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like I would not want to play this lineup, quite frankly. Like, like I like the back three that are there, but uh, you know, behind them, in front of them, you you don't have a defensive midfielder. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, and that's what I'm saying. Like that's where the midfield kind of throws me off. Yeah. But so so I, I mean, you could, you could throw. I mean, you could throw a Walfi in here, right? We we yeah. mentioned uh, saying his praises a little bit ago. But uh, and even Mwap. Right, even though he came from a losing team, he won 11 of his 17 duels, uh, had two tackles, two interceptions, four chances created. I thought and, he and it, didn't well. hit the post, didn't he? Too, yep. And but, yeah. but you know, since we've got Mr. Hernandez on the show with us, uh, I think I'm going to go with a Tucson player and let's talk about um, Jose Tarone. 
I think he's played incredibly well his past uh, two games. He's had four tackles, four clearances, six interceptions, and not just doing it on the defensive side, on the offensive side too, supplying four chances created and 11 crosses. Uh, so, you know, I'm the man that likes to stick up for the players who don't get the shine. And I think Tyrone's been uh, ha- had an impressive week last week. Definitely someone I put on the bench. That's a that's a that's a good shout, uh, Stephen. You have anyone? And and because uh, w- just so we can spread these out, let's let's say that you can't pick a Tucson player. Does that <laughs> uh, mess you up? <laughs> hamstringing me. Okay. Well, how would you, I mean, I, I have another I have another potential bench player here. All right, and, you go. Uh, I'm gonna scramble. All right, you you scramble. Well, you can pick a Tucson player. I'm playing. Um, yeah. So how about Moshabane? I thought he had a pretty good week. He, uh, you know, he was pretty. He was very active. You know, again, another guy who, you know, if you had to choose a player who who played well this week that you know maybe could replace one of the one of the guys off the bench i think he would i think he would be a very very good uh, good shout for one of those uh you know midfielder and attacking midfield players i agree endo should be on there as a bench player if not on the actual team of the week even if he only played for 30 minutes or 45 minutes whatever he played toronto doesn't come back in that game against north texas without him so yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that was this week, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm yeah. keep on thinking that was last week because we were no, yeah, and, last week. and yeah, you're he, right. he came on and had what like four or five chances within yeah. the first 20 minutes. He he yeah. was the reason why Toronto had that comeback. Yeah, well, I had Bermudez. I mean, he came off the bench, obviously. Yeah, and, yeah you know, that I, mean, works. I mean, someone who comes off the bench and makes an impact is a perfect off the bench player. I mean, that might have been a whole team of the week itself, right? Just the super <laughs> subs because they, they were the ones who made the impact it's, on three of the seven games of last week. That that's that's what it's about. Yep, that's that's those are those are also the coaching decisions that that need to be made as well. So you can you can you know pick one of them maybe as coach of the week. So Jason, I didn't check Twitter. Uh, were there any fan questions? We do have one fan question. Um, this is from SNJ underscore John five forty. He asks, "How much longer do you think Pepe has in this league? And does he stay with North Texas, or does he go on loan with a championship team, or directly to FC Dallas?" Uh, so here's my take on this. I think that he occasionally will um, will stay with North Texas if he does sign, and he'll be a, probably a off the bench kind of player, getting spot minutes here and there. But in weeks that he doesn't play, um, and North Texas, uh, you know, plays after FC Dallas, then maybe he plays with North Texas. So you know, I'm basing this on, on some other teams. So when you look at at now, there's only a couple of of two teams that I follow in the championship. But when you look at uh, Seattle two and and Red Bulls two, um, the the two of them, they they you know they have full-time players. I mean, guys like that you might know, like Haitian International, Derek Etienne Jr. He's on the bench a lot of times for New York Red Bulls, but when he doesn't play for the Red Bulls, the the next match, if he can, he'll play for um, for Red Bull too. So uh, assuming you can get those loans down, I, I think he'll get a lot more minutes still in North Texas, but maybe not as many as he would have if he didn't sign for the first team. Um, you know, Steven, I don't know if you have another uh, opinion about that. Uh, well, if you look at Tucson's situation, I was expecting a lot more uh, actual Phoenix Rising players to be loaned down. Uh, Devin Vegas played for us twice, sat in the bench twice. But besides that, there's only been two other loans uh, that have actually gotten minutes. So I think League One is a perfect league to get players minutes, to get them fresh, uh, to keep them in form. The competition's good. So uh, if they're able to actually, it doesn't matter how much if they make an impact, it's th- they want to give the players minutes. So that's kind of the detriment of being a two team is that you're at the service of the you're just an affiliate, but so yeah, if, if they can come down and get minutes, that's, that's what's important. 
Jason, you have an opinion about that? Do you think Ricardo's going to play mostly with FC Dallas, or will he get some North Texas minutes still? Uh, I, 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 I don't think. Yeah, by the way, I don't think he's going to be loaned out to a championship. So no, I, I don't think, think it's either. I think yeah, I think he's going to stay within the system. Yeah, yeah, or unless a European team, right? I think like with them, they that be the only other time. Sure, they the Byron under 19s want him. He can go That's to the a, Byron listen, under 19s. I'm just saying. But no, yeah, I think I think uh, to the dismay of teams in the league, he will uh, still be around. Um, unless there's an injury and that's the thing right and so even when the way they they've been using him in the u.s open cup um he's been playing at that top striker position but in badge he's been on the wing but they kind of intersect and he kind of is the one who lays it off and so if they do have an injury at their number 10 or if they do have an injury on the wing he could potentially just come on in and he obviously knows the system. And so, you know, I don't think FC Dallas would hesitate. Right. And then it becomes, let's say he goes and plays for three weeks while someone's injured and he's been hot those three weeks, then it becomes a coaching decision, right? Do you send him back to North Texas or do you just keep rolling with the hot hand uh, until he's no longer hot? Yeah, I, I can't disagree with any of that. So with that, Jason, where can people connect with you? Home sweet soccer. Steven? Uh, you can find on uh, Twitter on Old Pueblo Pod. And I can be found at Ira Jersey on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and check out bgn.fm for all the other great soccer content, both written and podcasts covering USL League One, USL Championship, USL League Two, NWSL, MLS, and much more. And very soon, FC Tucson, by the way. So make sure you check it out soon at bgn.fm. Thank you to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice for you to get your custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items for yourself or your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price of other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier of Major League Soccer, United Soccer Leagues, and U.S. Soccer. Get your custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Thank you very much. We'll see you at 9 o'clock next Wednesday night with our mystery guest. And as always, Jason and I will be here. And thanks very much to Stephen Hernandez from uh, our FC Tucson affiliate out there for the Beautiful Game Network for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, Elliot, Pimenta hasn't led a goal in over a month, and Richmond hasn't scored a goal in a month starting on Saturday. So cover your eyes this weekend, my guy. I love you. Uh, Elliot, darkness is your friend, man. I'm going I'm <laughs> to light a candle for him every night until Richmond scores. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everyone. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves. I can't do it. I can't do a Weston Shelton. I just can't. But, <laughs> hey.